You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Holding Pocket. It's time now for the Chipping Forecast, issued by Folding Pocket on behalf of Andrew Cotter, Eddie Pepperell and special guest Ian Carter. Well, greetings one and all. Welcome to the Chipping Forecast. I'm Andrew Cotter and His Excellency, special guest Sir Ian Carter, is here. And um, special envoy. Quite like that. What are Is there a delay already? Quite like that. That's a Premier Install. Yes. SG, Ian Carter, with delay, WD, WD40, WD63 years old. I don't even know how old Ian Carter is, so that might not be true. I think you are, let me guess, your age. Oh, oh no, that's, that, that's harsh. It is. It is. Uh, is it harsh? Shall we just, shall I ignore so that? So if I'm HE, would you be NR? Oh. I, I'm, it's too early to go to the crickets. I can't be bothered. So let's just say good gag, Ian, and move on. Um, they were not going to guess Ian's age. That is cruel. Because also you have to then try and sort of... Can if you want. You, you don't want to guess it exactly. You want to take four years off your guess. The ideal hit mark for a guess of somebody's age, a man, woman, child. I don't know why a child would be asking you to guess their age. Very strange. But you've got to try and get sort of four years underneath it. If somebody's 44... Actually, that's tricky because if you start it with it, you, if you you get 40, 39, that's you've nailed it. They're happy, you're happy. Even if you've lied a little bit, everybody's happy. So uh, this intro has become very strange. Right, uh, Eddie Pepperell, don't know what your title is, special envoy to the DP World Tour, is here in Spain on a red sofa in Spain. How is your, so you're now in um, getting ready for Soto Grande. You, you drove down from Madrid? Yeah, just got here about an hour ago. Six hour drive. It's quite a long way, actually. Um, but a nice drive. We stopped halfway at a pretty random service station. I think Ian's age is given away by the fact that he's now using graphite shafts. So that put him puts him upwards of 60. Um, it might. Oh, <laughs> well, come on now. Well, I mean, interestingly, I was going to get into my club fitting news later on. Actually, I will do that later on. Well, uh, were there good toll roads in Spain? I don't know what the toll road situation's like in Spain. Did you try and bust through them like I did in in Italy? No, I didn't. They um they got uh, they came thick and fast at the end. Once we hit Malaga, there was about four in quick succession. But really, for the first four or five hours, it was uh, it was toll free. Um, nice roads in Spain, aren't they, Andrew? The, uh, do you know what? I don't really know. I I only know that bottom end of Spain. I haven't um I haven't driven through the heart of Spain, so. 
Uh, I can't test my road knowledge or demonstrate any road, road knowledge on that. I drove down those roads and used those toll booths only a couple of weeks ago to get to the Solheim Cup. And I, I was really annoying as I was going through those because I'm such a doddery old man. Mm. You know, I drove very slowly through those those toll areas yeah. and um you know in a very sort of doddery way yes. the toll booth operator said ah let him go he has it was all beyond it was all beyond me really graphite shafts at my age ian how was your return to golf with your graphite shafts i'm really encouraged by my return to golf actually um things are things are moving uh, very nicely i actually played today uh, which was my third round in about five or six days and I'm really, really enjoying it. I played very nicely. I played the inner course at Royal Mid Surrey mm. with a, a leading agent, shall we say. And I did a lot of work for the podcast, which should secure us. Mark Steinberg. A very, very, a, a major winning guest. We will have a major winning guest before the end of the year. Uh, he just needs to come through the rest of the schedule and will be joining us on the chipping forecast. Quote, unquote, really looking forward to it. Um, and that was straight from his agent with whom I had a lovely game of golf today. I'm so enthused by the game of golf now, um, having been really, really down on it. Um, I'm enjoying it. I've got the, a, a new driver in the bag. I'm go It's going well. And I'm already outlining a gym and speed program to just get oh a little God. bit more club head speed uh, because I, I now think that I can start to do things in this game. I know who you've played with today. Uh, the way that conversation has just gone, it must be Podrick Harrington that you've played with today. No, no, I played with an agent today. Sorry, I, I mean his agent. Yes, yeah. yeah, I think it. I think you've you've got it in one. That's that's very right. good. Uh, very good deduction. Try to try to flog me in one of those um, one of those speed things that you that you bought, Andrew. Yeah, one of the one of the radars. Yeah, I've got it sitting beside me. I've still got it sitting beside me, gathering dust. Yeah, although I did. Uh, listen, we're going to we're going to come on to Eddie's Eddie's performances in in Spain and chat There's about loads that, to talk about. By the way, there is so much to talk about, um, but we've got to get our ramblings out of the way first. So, why are we talking about my golf? Uh, well, <sighs> this timing, this timing, and this Wi-Fi. We're we're talking about your golf because people like to know, they deserve to know that that a man who has been recently billed in the national press as a broadcaster at the top of his game, uh, how his golf is going. Did you see that? Have you got that framed anywhere yet? Did you see where that was? You you know, don't you? Uh, I, I I thought that it was a fantastic article in the uh, Daily Telegraph for the way that it mm. captured what the entire Five Live team managed to achieve at the Ryder Cup. There's no I in team, says Ian, but this was J uh, Jim White uh, who writes in the Telegraph, not the one who's on Sky Sports News shouting about a possible big signing for MK Dons. This is Jim White writing in the in the Telegraph who was doing a review of the coverage of the Ryder Cup. And I forgot to mention it last week, but it was, it was such a positive thing, the affirming thing about uh, golf coverage on the radio. And Ian Carter, a broadcaster who's at the very top of his game, said Jim White. So there we are. Kudos, um, kudos to you. And I know you're looking a little bit embarrassed by it. You shouldn't. I, I am. I am slightly. But I, if, and while we're on this 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 little mission now, I have to say I popped out to the Chinese takeaway last night uh, just as you were starting your commentary on the rugby. And I've noticed all the other um, podcasts um, that you hear from America. The golf podcasts have to talk about American sports. So yeah. I don't mind a quick mention of the rugby. But I have to say the way that you introduced the players onto the field in Paris for that France against South Africa match. That was terrible. No, was absolutely 
stunning. It was superb. It was beautifully measured, wonderful oh, vocabulary, great delivery. It revved me up for the match. And then I, I, I must admit, I watched the match and I didn't, I couldn't sync the commentary. So I didn't listen to your commentary on it, but I know it was magnificent. But what a game of rugby that was. What a game and of rugby. And you teed it up rugby. for me, Andrew. And so and there I, you go. Yeah. And then, and then you left me and went to get your I did Chinese leave TV you. and watch yeah. it on ITV. Excellent. No, it was great. It was a, it was a great occasion. That's what you're sometimes reminded of sports and what, it, you know, how, because we get a bit jaded about sports. Um, you know, not jaded, but, you, you know, when you're working in sports, sometimes you become a little bit detached from the emotion and the excitement of it. But events like the Ryder Cup and events like those two quarterfinals, I was at both of them in Paris uh, in the Rugby World Cup they were they were astonishing and the atmosphere was was quite something so I would imagine Eddie it was a very similar atmosphere in in Madrid see how I've linked there into I was uh, over in Paris and I was following you again on Shot Tracker and the 14th hole is at the par 5 yeah, let's not talk about the 14th. You'd have had fun following me yesterday on the shot tracker. I mean, um, I hit a tree in the pro-am in front of John and he took the mick out of me walking off the tee. He said, you're trying to take that tree down, Eddie. Um, so there were so many trees I hit in Madrid last week. It was desperate. Um, but the 14th hole. But hang on, hang on, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. You you were 65 in the first round. You were fifth, maybe going into the final round. You did finish 20, the top 20. So again, you're being down on yourself and self-deprecating hitting trees, but you must have played a lot of good stuff as well. I did play some decent stuff in the early to mid part of the week, but uh, yesterday was, if I'd have shot under par yesterday, it would have been the greatest under par round since Dear Sevi um, was around. I would have, I would have imagined it was, um, I was hitting it everywhere. And the worst thing is, the, the worst thing about it all is I'm hitting three wood everywhere. So, it, you know, you get the impression when I start hitting it wide, I, I always think, people watching three of them must be you know just scratching heads thinking well i paid to come and watch this guy play today but john had great support which was um great to see and uh the event is is wonderful especially when john's there john's playing so we're talking john rom sorry yeah not john mcamara well you you weren't playing with with rambo were you in the final round or anything like that no you? no no i wasn't no no he was uh, a couple hours ahead of me he was watching you he was one of the three people watching you came out to watch me yeah he'd heard so many great things um but no it was a really good week i mean obviously disappointing day yesterday but i hung in there considering how bad I, badly i played and um yeah this had a decent finish in the end but uh, a disappointing sunday albeit but um i enjoyed the rugby i watched the rugby i gotta say the two matches you're talking about i thought were quite incredible yeah they 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 were but uh listen I, we we were getting messages from tcf listeners <laughs> the chipping <laughs> forecast listeners people hardcore listeners who sit there in their tcf branded t-shirts and baseball caps um make eddie great again and they you know they're saying oh this is so you know you've got a you've got a following out there i mean obviously we've got some listeners out there now as well but but you've got a following so uh, that doesn't bring any added pressure, does it? You just feel the love coming through, Eddie, I'm sure. Yeah, I do feel the love. I, I was introduced as Eddie People on Thursday, and then uh, <laughs> it was my playing partner. He, oh God, I should know that. I mean, my memory's gone. And he just said, you are the man of the people, even in Spain. So uh, that's uh, seemingly everywhere I go, Andrew, I'm I'm as popular as you are. Eddie People. Uh, well, anyway, John Ram's reign of terror at the Spanish Open is over. He couldn't win. I mean, he still came back on the final day. I think he was ninth or something. But 
Mathieu Pavon uh, winning it his first title. So, um, but it looks like it, it, it is a, one of the great old events on the European Tour, isn't it? So, um, it was uh, for what I saw of it. It looks like a nice event. Eddie, were you aware of the the DP World Tour um, putting you out on um, social media for the par on the par three? I, I I don't know which hole it was, but when you hit it under the toilets, yeah, I saw that um, afterwards, Ian. Yeah, that was a that was a that was an interesting par, wasn't it? And that was one of those pars where, you know, we rank and file club golfers. I I had this conversation with someone who saw it. It just went, well, you know, we'd 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 still be looking for our ball, and you you get away with a with a par and a drop. And I mean, what what just for people who didn't see it, the, you you hit it long and left in under the toilets, didn't you? Yeah. There was a grandstand there, so you actually got to drop it next to the green. Yeah, well, I mean, you get this thing called TIO relief, temporary movable obstruction relief, right, which obviously the grandstand yeah. is. Um, you know, mm. the ball was behind the grandstand under a set of toilets. Um, now, <laughs> there were two drop zones. I, well, there were two drop zones, and I actually went to the one that I thought made most sense visually. It was further away from the green and kind of back in line with the direction towards the tee. But it turns out my ball was actually closer to the drop zone that I was able to use which was closer to the green um, just because of the way it was all situated. So you know, it looked, I would say, bad, but, um, you know, the rules are the rules and, you know, there's nothing I can do about them. I just have to follow where I'm told to drop it. And, um, you know, I was lucky not to be out of bounds. If it wasn't for a lady having, a, you know, going to the toilet there, then I, I would have been out of bounds. So um, yeah, <laughs> th- thankfully she was there. Yeah. God bless her. Um, yeah. So well, anyway, Great par in the end. It was a it was a good par. And actually, the the last nine holes on the Saturday set the tone for Sunday. I was scrambling, you know, from late Saturday. So um, yeah, it was a tough weekend, but Madrid's always good fun, and I enjoyed it. Yeah. On to Soto Grande. We'll talk about that in a minute as we look ahead to uh, weekend's events uh, coming up. Uh, you know, the biggest golf news is that uh, that I I have I have got fitted for new clubs. I have been fitted for. For new clubs, so I'm I'm kind of geared, only because after we played with Eddie at Queenwood and he he basically said these clubs are wrong for you now and they are they are but I got fitted so everything is good. the only thing that, that troubles me from the fitting is that I got fully measured height one eighty seven centimeters so he said right fine you're there and then he he measured my arms and he went oh <laughs> he made that noise after he measured my arms he went oh we are off the charts and I thought this is tremendous what a what a physical specimen I am. He said, that you've got very, very short arms. <laughs> and I I took this quite personally. But anyway, so apparently you're supposed to, I didn't realize that it's the one-to-one index, the ape index, it's called climbers, call it that. You're supposed to, your height is supposed to exactly match the length from one fingertip to another if you stretch your arms out, your arm span. So if you're six feet tall, you're from finger to finger, your, your arms are supposed to be six feet uh, but I, anyway, in centimetres, I'm 187 centimetres tall, but my arm span is 180 centimetres. So there's a deficit, an arm deficit of seven centimetres. So I think this is, first of all, this is confirmed why I can't send it out there. Because if you haven't got those long levers, I've got little Tyrannosaurus Rex arms. You know, it's it's not whether you're tall, it's how long your arms are. And I might be six foot one, but I've got Corey Pavin's arms. You've got my arms. I've got your, <laughs> you've got got, my arms. I've got your arms and you are five foot four. Um, and you've got tremendously deep pockets as well, haven't you? Yeah, okay, good. But the thing is as well, so he measured your hands for your for your grip size to use and whatever, and he says you've got very, very long hands. So if I've got very long hands 
and yet I've still got from fingertip to fingertip. <laughs> where am I losing it? So my forearms look a normal length. So have I just got tiny, although amazingly formed biceps? It's like a child has tried to mold a human out of plasticine and they've made me that I'm just all over the shop. And people think I'm a germaphobe for not shaking hands. Maybe I just can't reach them. We'd be grazing noses before we can shake hands because we've got these little stumpy arms. So I'd like to know, because I, I actually did ask you, Ian, what your, mm. what's your height to, to arm span <laughs> measurement? This is important. I want all the listeners to measure their arms. I'm 176 centimetres across. Right. And that, uh, that approximates to, I only know my height in, in imperial measurement, mm. which is five foot eight. So, so five, eight is about 176 centimetres, apparently. So you're normal. So, so I'm normal. No, what is yeah. normal? Everything's normal. Well, nothing's normal. Eddie, Eddie won't know, but you will know because I'm sure you've obviously been fitted for golf clubs over the years. You will know if you have long arms, short arms, little stumpy arms. That's like ne- never been part of the fitting process, actually. So um, maybe yeah. these, they've obviously... Maybe they, just, maybe they just do it to mock people that come in for fittings. Yeah. Anyway, how, what, what were you fit with in the end? Well, well, so he got me... He, got me up to you're hitting seven irons and it got me up to 173 yards just but but it wasn't it was just a pure strike or it is there on twitter because they put it up on they, they asked me they're very nice people uh and they said can we put this up on twitter so my me getting fitted and swinging is up there on twitter somewhere but um uh, I'm not going to put it up there on Twitter because it sounds a little corporate to me. It's not. It's and I was absolutely a hundred percent. I said I would like to pay absolutely full whack for the golf course because I don't want to be. Again, we talked about this. You don't want to be mm. beholden to somebody and say I don't. I just don't like it. I'm not an ambassador mm. for any club. So, but I've got these clubs with a lighter shaft, so they're 105 shafts, but then they're half an inch longer and two degrees upright, so they actually play you know, pretty, not heavy, but they, they play sort of medium anyway. So the lighter shafts, and I was I was ripping it at the end. So so lighter lighter shafts, you must be knocking on 60 as no, well. No, the lighter shafts, but he said, you're right on the cusp of X-Flex. You're between X-Flex and S-Flex, so we'll put you in the S-Flex, and they're uh, half an inch longer, a little bit lighter, but they play heavier because they're half an inch longer. So anyway, they're really nice. Anyway, so I haven't got them yet. So God, I think we've been talking for about an hour about... Um, arm measurements and clubs. I just, I see, I see you've got a Ben Hogan five fundamentals. Oh, yeah, I think it is. And I always think you know, he, his lie angle, from what I understand, is very flat. And I always, if I ever have a child, which is a big if, but if oh. I do, then I, what I'm going to do is, is give him or her clubs that are too long, but give them, and too heavy, but make sure they're super flat so that they learn to, and, and force them yes. to hit draws. I will physically whip them okay, until they hit that. draws. So what they'll have to do is they'll, they'll have to come into impact with yes. really low hands. So if you look at great ball strikers, their hands are really low at impact. And I think, you know, you could force that with a super flat club head uh, and then get some. So I would draw. love to swear, but Ben Hogan was what, five foot seven or so, five foot eight at, at most. So it, I think he had longer arms than you. But he had longer arms. Maybe he had the arms of, well, I was watching um, the PGA Tour because I was watching see Alexi Thompson get on. And again, we'll come on to that in a moment. But I was watching um, Akshi Batia, the American player. And I think he's got, he's got the arms I'm supposed to have, but they're coming down past his knee. And then he, just this easy swing with these long levers, just pounding it out there. So I've got to have some sort of arm extension put on if I'm. Well, going what to... do you do when you're buying shirts? I just get someone else to reach the shelves for me. No, oh, but in I... terms of the fitting. <laughs> 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 I 
I, I, uh, champagne socialist coming out there. No. <laughs> no. Um, I can't get to the top shelf, sir. Can you see? Ah, I see. Yes, you have Ronnie Corbett's arms. Are all your shirts made to measure? No, of course or they're can not. can you buy I just, regular? I buy regular. I've got... I don't know. Maybe they're not that abnormal, my arms, but they're seven centimetres shorter than they're supposed to be. Here's a question. Mm. You know when you buy shirts like, and it's like a 16-inch collar... How does that then make the rest of the shirt fit you? Because they'll be going by standards that everything should be a standard. It doesn't. I mean, off-the-peg stuff won't yeah. fit you exactly. That's the problem. Oh, right? well, I mean, you, you wouldn't do off-the-peg. No, I'm several. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm, I, of course, very much off-the-peg. But I think I'm fairly conventional, apart from the little stumpy arms. Um, anyway, so there we are. Oh, and uh, you, you, you'll you appreciate this, Eddie, that I was just a sheer vanity going to go for blades from seven up to pitching wedge, I think. Uh, but then I noticed that in those clubs that I'm getting, even Shane Lowry doesn't have the the blades and the shorter clubs. So why would you do that? You'd just be doing that to have shiny blades and, and be some sort of macho man in your bag. So I've I've gone for the... They're not quite. They're not quite cavity back, but they're sort of halfway between cavity backed and blades. They're nice irons. Yeah, I know the ones you mean. People who use blades are, are fools. Fools. Nobody should be. Nobody should really be using blades. I don't know. They're they're beautiful to look at, though, aren't they? Yeah. How how many players on tour play with blades? Uh, less, I would say, fewer than those who don't. You know, obviously, uh, people who are using the clubs that Andrew's now got. I think these days the forge type clubs you can get. You know, they interact with the turf the way blades do, but they give you that extra forgiveness. And um, as you see, some guys like Henrik Stenson and others use pretty thick-headed clubs, to be honest, which I wouldn't use. But no, I, I wouldn't. The majority certainly don't use blades. I got into um, why they're called Strix on off. I've said it now. I didn't. Uh, sorry. <laughs> oh, God, it doesn't matter. I don't, like, I'm, I'm paying for them. I don't mind. I'm paying for them. So yeah. it's fine. But I, I wonder where the name Strix on had come from. Yeah, I know they're a Japanese company. But but this this led me down a, an absolute rabbit hole of golf club and equipment manufacturing that I spent ages on the 20th century history of golf club manufacturing when I should have really been doing prep on, on South Africa against France. But anyway, um, Strixon, it's the SRI, is uh, Sumitomo Rubber Industries. So it's that acronym, SRI, with just the X-O-N added on to make it sound dynamic. So because most golf... Um, club manufacturers, certainly golf ball manufacturers in the 20th century were tyre manufacturers or rubber manufacturers, mm. Bridgestone and and uh, Uniroyal and, and Dunlop and they all made yeah. golf balls and that's where it came from. And Bridgestone, here's a, a, a where do you think the name Bridgestone comes from? They're a Japanese company. This is quite an interesting one. Go on. Well, you can be the judge of whether it's interesting or not. So the name of the founder, Shojiro Ishibashi, his name means, translates as Stone Bridge. So that's why they so they decided to use that name, and and call it Bridgestone. They first started producing golf balls in the thirties as well. So look at Eddie. So what have I signed up for here? This chat. <laughs> just chuckling. I just imagine if Ishibashi was a professional golfer, then uh, yeah, it's a great Ludwig, name. Ludwig Obert on the tee. Yeah. Oh well, Ludwig Obert doesn't have any equipment. He's not tied to anyone. He can use anything he wants. He can use stone bridges. He can use. Um, Rubber industry, I can't even remember the name already. Um, but and a Kushnet was founded by a guy who'd worked for uh, Kushnet, which is Titleist and and He'd worked for Goodyear Tires, and then he developed the golf ball Titleist in the thirties as well. Have uh, have people left us yet? <laughs> Do you think? No, but there was there was never there was never a Goodyear golf ball, was there? No, I don't think there was. No, um, mm. no. 
Um, P- had fun with that. Oh, I got onto PXG as well because I thought, well, where's the name PXG come from in oh, this Parsons, in this last afternoon? Yeah, Parsons Extreme Golf. Extreme Golf. Now Bob Parsons. So I've had a roller coaster ride on Bob Parsons because I thought I saw some of the things that he did and thought, here's a here's a good guy. He's you know a Purple Heart winner. He was a U.S. Marine, and not that's necessarily good or bad. It's just what he did. Um, but he, I didn't. So he was the founder of of GoDaddy, the website hosting. So that's where he made his money from, and that's why this uh, PXG is just a bit, a bit fun because he's such a go- golf devotee. But anyway, he's a he's got a foundation with him and his wife, which gives millions to worthwhile causes. But then I found out he's hunted elephants as well, and so I'm all oh. out on Bob Parsons. He tweeted a video where he sh- shot and killed an elephant on safari in Zimbabwe. So Bob, no, bad Bob. Bad Bob, bad PXG. He said afterwards, he said, elephants are not endangered and probably there are too many of them, said Bob. Uh, probably too many of them. So Bob Parsons, stop stop that. Just like... Right, that might get edited out as well. Um, <laughs> last bit in golf equipment, thankfully, says everybody. Penfolds. Do they still? I think they still make some golf balls. Nobody uses them anymore. But they were quite a. They were the golf ball of choice for Seve. Won the 1979 Open using a Penfold Penfold Tradition golf ball. So they had Penfolds had the the suits. So you had a Penfold Heart, Penfold Diamond, Penfold Ace was I think their their yeah. best one. Um, Goldfinger Shen- Penfold Commando. Pen, well, that was a that was a Penfold, was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm sure, commander. sure it was. Yeah. Um, uh, in Goldfinger, Sean Connery's, uh, well, Bond is using a, a Penfold ace. I think he's an ace or a Penfold mm. heart. Anyway, I'm lo- I don't think they make them anymore, do they? I think I think they do, but they're sort of the value, you know, they're, they're rather sort of cheap brand golf balls. Sorry, Penfold. I think they, they still do the clothing, which is quite, um, supposed to be quite, quite chic. But, so Penfold, the name Penfold, oh my God, Andrew, what are you doing? Comes from Albert Ernest Penfold. You haven't got cricket, so you can't do it to me. Albert, I have, have you? I found them. Oh God! Yeah. Go on, I'll let you do it then. Well, stop now. <laughs> <laughs> they don't go on very long, do they? Oh, oh I didn't even hear it start. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Albert Ernest Penfold in create. Uh, he was another one who found a way to, I think, tightly wind golf balls. <laughs> anyway, gave his name to Penfold golf balls. Do you remember Danger Mouse, the cartoon? Yes, Penfold was in that. Penfold was his sidekick. Yeah. And his na- first name was Ernest. It was Ernest Penfold. So I can only assume that Penfold and Danger Mouse is named after Albert Ernest Penfold, who created uh, Penfold Golf Brand. We had a guy when I was at college who uh, we thought looked like Penfold out of Danger Mouse. So we nicknamed him Penfold. Ian, was that you? <laughs> no, it wasn't me. Oh, no, because I'm so old, it didn't, you know, it was before okay. television. Hang on a second. Um, I'll do it for you here, Ian. Bear with me. Right, there we are. Enough equipment chat and Penfold chat from Danger Mouse. Oh, one more, one more final equipment. What clubs did Tiger Woods win the 1997 Masters with? What irons? Japanese ones. Titleist. No, see, it wasn't Titleist. He was sponsored by Titleist by then, but they hadn't come up with a set that he was happy with. So he was using his Mizunos um, that he'd used throughout his amateur career. And he stuck with it until 
early 98 or late 97 when finally he was happy with it was a little bit like when he changed the Nike that you know he wanted them to to have a, a club that he was happy with before he actually went with them but he had the titleist bag but there were Mizunos in his in his bag so there we are everybody's enjoyed that chat and um I think we've rapidly dropped from UK's number one golf podcast to 17 in the North Norfolk area. <laughs> what else do we want to talk about, Ian? Live. Let's talk about live golf and, and things like that. Oh, What's going on? Talk to uh, me. Well, yeah. I mean, well, we've got world rankings. We've got the, the climax to their individual um, season, which saw um, Brooks Kepka win. Brooks Kepka uh, dis Matt Wolf once again. Saw Taylor Gooch. Taylor Gooch finished second, lo- losing in a playoff. And I had a look at how much money. How much money do you think Taylor Gooch has made out of live since joining them last year? Oh, uh, Taylor, Taylor Gooch. Gooch. Um, I, I mean, this what- is... This is just prize Well, money. I know that he obviously got the bonus. So just this week, he got $18 million, didn't he? He got the $18 million. Which is post, just yeah. astonishing in itself. But so since joining mm. Liv, $20 billion, I don't know. How much do you think, Eddie? <laughs> I'm saying close to 50, 50 million, probably. No, it can't be as much as that. Yeah, yeah. 47 million. Taylor Gooch. Over 47. Taylor Gooch. What's wrong with the world? I mean, but uh, you know, on a serious point, what must pros think when they when they see that and they know, you know, totally Taylor Gooch is a is a very fine golfer. Don't get me wrong, but he's won forty eight man tournaments to the extent that he has earned forty seven million in that is that's Bubba Watson's career and better. Well, I mean, that that is you know, on the on the PGA Tour in two seasons. So, you know, in all fairness, my God, to a professional, it must look an attractive proposition. And as the as the game goes forward and we wonder what's going to happen with all these negotiations, you just think, well, you know, players are, are going to surely look at this, aren't they? Eddie, can I ask what you, is it gauche to ask what, I mean, well, I can look it up, see what you earn for your 20th place in a big tournament in the Spanish Open um, this week, what you made for that? It was thirty three thousand euros I earned, yeah. um, which obviously is a long way short of eighteen million dollars. You're a long way short of Chase Kepka at the moment, is what you're a long way short of. I'm mm. a long way behind all of the guys. I mean, it's what it is. I think, you know, it, it make. I honestly have no real feelings towards the money that these guys have earned. I, I think at the end of the day, fair play to them. They knew what they were signing up for. It's, that's exactly why they went was for the money, and and I said that from the get go. It was the only reason why any of them went. If the money that was on offer wasn't anything like this none of them would have ever have gone and so you know fair play to them i think there's obviously been ramifications the world ranking points which we'll talk about is one of those are one of those ramifications and uh, there are others too and of course how they come back if indeed they ever come back to play the pga tour i suspect there will be financial ramifications in doing so as well so you know it might well be that going to live shortens these guys careers significantly anyway and so their earnings are going to be hugely condensed um but you know, even if they are condensed, as you can see by the amount Taylor Gooch has earned in two years, it, it's already massive. So, um, you know, it is what it is. There's the thing, isn't it? I mean, Taylor Gooch has got all this money, but he's not eligible for a single uh, a single major next season. So he'll have to go through qualifying to do that. Yeah, and, and my feeling is, as a professional sportsman, he's largely invisible. Nobody really knows who Taylor Gooch is in the world of golf anymore. So great, good on him. He's super rich, super wealthy, and he can 
buy whatever he wants to buy. And that's absolutely wonderful in his prerogative. But that's where it is. And that's where it stops. He's got no legacy in the game. Uh, I personally don't see how Liv's going to grow to to a point whereby players can build legacies, genuine legacies in the game. I mean, that's my feelings towards it. Really, the, these guys just are not being seen. And, and they're, like I say, largely invisible in the world of golf now. No, and and we'll talk about the rankings in a minute. The decision to uh, continue to deny them ranking points and live, but 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 Taylor Gooch, I don't think any of us are. You know, you you can't criticise any of the players for earning that money. That's just the, again their good fortune. But it is it is a wider thing about the sort of warped values of 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 golf and the money within it compared to the the wider world and this bubble that is there. It is. I I was thinking about it as some sort of. You know, in a world where Taylor Gooch is earning eighteen million dollars and 50, nearly fifty million overall, that it's this. You know, you know, Eddie. Do you know of the seventeenth um, century uh, sort of uh, inflation of tulip prices in in the yeah the tulip mania yeah, yeah tulip yeah, mania exactly. So this so this was very early um, speculation, a speculation bubble, and it, it got to a situation in the sixteen thirties where it, it was about. Um, 4,000 guilders for one single bulb, whereas an annual salary of a, a, a farm worker growing the tulips was 300 guilders, so more than 10 times. It, it, it just got absolutely mad. And somebody, there was a Scottish writer wrote about a famous um, thesis on it, a book on it called The Madness of Crowds. And the reason I bring that up is just we've got to this point where the money is so insane that people can't see almost from within how insane it is that Taylor Gooch, as you say, in what world is Taylor Gooch worth as an entertainer, as a, a product himself? Is he worth that kind of money? So Taylor Gooch is a little bulb in, in 17th century Holland. where It's just, in, it's insane. And I, I, don't know, I don't know where the end game is as, as the money continues to feed in. Well, my my feeling with that and the, the difference to me is that ultimately, if, if things were to pan out the way I imagine they will, and they might not, but if Liv ends up being a relative, or if Liv ends up not succeeding, let's say, then really the only people with losses on the balance sheet are the Saudis. And this has been the problem all along, is they can absorb those losses because they've got such a large cash pile. And so they're playing the game that no one else can afford to play, and and financially speaking. And so really... Whereas in the tulip, you know, and like all speculative bubbles, a lot of people lose out because they join in. Um, I don't think it's quite the same here, although I know what you're saying. And I agree with you in terms of value relative to actual product, if you like. But um, yeah, I, I think, you know, th- this is just, th- this is where I can't personally buy in on the notion that the guys who are running the show at PIF are the smartest guys in the room. Because if they were the smartest guys in the room, why on God's earth would you give Phil Mickelson $200 million up front? Why would you be paying Taylor Gooch this kind of money? Why would you be throwing $4 billion at the wall in a year on Live Golf? It's not a sensible investment or a smart investment. You're throwing money away. Um, but I keep being told they're the smartest people in the room and we must do business with these guys. But I just think they're fortunate in the moment. that They've got an unbelievable balance sheet. They've got a ton of cash. But at the end of the day, the Japanese had a ton of cash in the 80s. The Russians had a ton of cash. The Chinese had a ton of cash. The US have always had a lot of cash. But, you know, this is cyclical and it will end. And I think that there will be elements in sport. And I think that's why it's so important that the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour and the governance structures moving forward, especially as it's going to relate to this framework agreement, needs to be set up in such a way that when the downfall does occur, it doesn't bring everything down with it, if you see what I'm saying. 
I certainly do. Uh, can't even eat tulip bulbs. They're poisonous. So the other thing about that, you know, off the back of that, that point is that, and again, we'll talk about the rankings in a moment, but the PGA Tour is now starting to look... Uh, for US backers, so it's it. There, there was a sort of coming together. And now there's a divergence again. They seem to be moving further apart. So it's almost as if battle lines are being drawn once again. Yeah, it feels like, and certainly the mood music around the game in terms of the rumours that that you hear are that the the framework agreement is in trouble. That uh, the two, the the three sides are uh, collectively way way apart. Uh, they were hoping to get the deal done by uh, the end of this year uh, that looks like it might go further there are these stories about um about private investment being courted by the PGA tour which might be saber rattling for the negotiations with PIF there's uh, talk of Ari Emanuel did you see that yeah. with Endeavor who own IMG suggesting that they might be putting some kind of deal together I mean I don't know Eddie what what the feeling is kind of on the ground um with the the DP World Tour players because they're they're a big part of this deal as well if it if it does happen you know what what the mood is because certainly what I heard from people very high up uh, in in involved in it, it all that they still want this deal to be done, but the mood music seems very pessimistic on that. I think all parties want it done, but it's ultimately not really workable. And again, it comes back to the number one issue that we've had all along, and that is the constraints of time on pe- sorry time constraints on people. So especially with the emergence of the TGL, Rory McIlroy, all these guys now. If you want to involve live, then they're going to have to play some live golf, PGA Tour golf, DP World Tour golf, and TGL. Well, Rory only plays 20 to 22 weeks a year. So, you know, you, this, you just don't have a workable solution. And I've spoken to a you know a top player about it on the US side, and I've talk, spoken to people at the high end of the, on the board here or who work high up at the DP World Tour, and they both say the same things, that it's not looking particularly positive. Um, and I think that's, uh, that's where it's at. And I'm, if I had to put a bet on at the moment i would say that there isn't going to be uh an agreement made that's going to work for everyone and i think although the legal stuff might hopefully stop certainly on the u.s side um i, I don't think there's going to be you know a unity if you like so let's talk about the rankings then because uh, last week on the pod and we were talking about that we knew that there was going to be an announcement uh, from uh, peter dawson and the o- uh, owgr about um, live and rankings and we thought that there might be news that there would be some sort of rankings given to whether it was a sort of watered down rankings based on the on the on the uh on the quality and the qualification criteria for live events but in fact in the end it's no um ranking points for live ongoing so um what do we feel about what do we feel about that yeah i mean i I've got mixed feelings about it. I I think, you know, the, the reasons given were technical. They weren't political. And I get the technical reasons. I get the fact that it's a closed shop to all intents and purposes live. So those players are in a privileged position of playing their tournaments without much of a trapdoor. And there's no passageway to, to get in there via a meritocracy, really. Um, and they would argue that yes, there is. They're having this little qualifying tournament and that kind of thing, but it's nowhere near uh, a tour school or the pyramid that the rest of golf operates under. And also, the team element is a compromising factor as well, uh, given you know that 
you could take a course of action as a player to benefit your team, which would actually corrupt the the pure individual uh, competition. Notwithstanding that, I I felt that it would have been a good thing for them to have world ranking points, but world ranking points that reflected the nature of the tournament, the fact that it is only 54 holes. And I don't, you know, I think that is that is a massive thing, that it is only 48 players, that there are very few really good players among those 48. There are some astonishingly good uh, players there. But I think that if they had given those ranking points to Liv, then people could see what Liv is for, what, you know, see what, what Liv actually is, which is 48 men over, over 54 holes, which is not massively, you know, it doesn't, it just pales in into insignificance compared with what's happening on the main tours, in my opinion. And the points should reflect that. And then players who go to live know what they're getting into. I think the only thing they obviously care about is access into majors. Um, and so for me, an obvious thing to do would be something like we have in the DP World Tour now, where you have mini order of merits leading into majors. And if you're top five on that mini order of merit, you get a spot at the US Open or the PGA Championship or the Open Championship. Uh, I think that would be the, the fairest thing to do moving forward. I think it would reflect... Well, it actually, it would, in, it would enhance Liv because there would be some tournaments with something genuinely on it, I think. And uh, guys, it might be five spots available over a three series of two or three events, and they know they've got something to play for, whether it's Chase Kepka or Bryson DeChambeau. You know, they have that access to potentially through to majors with good golf. So um, that's what I think maybe should happen. Well, whether it will, I'm not sure. But uh, I think the fact they haven't got world ranking points, you know, I, I agreed with, you know, obviously the assertion that the OWGR made and... Um, I mean, I thought it was interesting. I bumped into Peter Dawson actually the day I played at Carnoustie and he was playing with Andrew slash Yassir uh, that day. I'm not sure who <laughs> showed up, but uh, he, he asked me what, uh, you know, what I should speak to him about. And I said, oh, I don't know. It's not a language I speak, um, Peter, but uh, interesting that obviously nothing really formal came of those discussions or positive from the live perspective. Mm. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you meant to say Chase Kepka or Brooks Kepka, but Chase Kepka, see, obviously he, the, there is relegation. Um, it's because some people are saying, you know, it's a closed shop and it's, mm. but there is some relegation from, from live and there will be promotion in terms of captains choosing new players from the, the also exciting draft, but Chase Kepka was one of four players who has been relegated after finishing at the bottom. Actually, six players finish in the drop zone, I think they might call it, but two were exempt because they're captains. I think it was Westwood and Keimer. I, find, I get really sad when I see, see, but when I see players like Westwood and Keimer, I get very sad because I see them playing golf now that is not driving them to, you know, to, they're just heading off into the sunset and, you know, Keimer was was on the slide obviously before he went to live, but I just think what great players they they were. Two former world number ones there who who are just just picking up a huge amount of money for for being very average at golf now in relative terms and in, in top level terms. So um, it's a bit it's a, it's a bit of a shame. One of those arguments is that those team captains can't be relegated, so that compromises the integrity as well. But I suppose a counter argument could come with you know some of the veteran players who get starts on the DP World Tour for performances that they've they've had you know off career earnings yeah. and that kind of thing might sort of temper that argument i had a really interesting email from a guy called David Stanley actually after this announcement came through and he's been keeping 
for the last 12 years his own version of the of of the world rankings because he doesn't Goodness. quite like this yeah so and he's he's kept them going during the whole live era as well and he gives 80% points to live tournaments to account for the 54 holes compared with the uh, 72 holes that are played on the the uh, European tour and for example he said in in the email that he only gave 80% points to Matt Fitzpatrick because the Dunhill ultimately was only played over over 3 rounds and he's he sent me where the live players would be under the DMS ranking right. which is the David Stanley ranking oh he wants this to take off go on no no but so Cameron Smith uh, at the, the time he wrote this was 15 in the world on the OWGR under the DMS ranking he would be seven the, D- the dog's getting excited sorry just the beanbag noise right. sorry but uh Brooks Kepka uh is 11 on his ranking 18 in the world on OWGR but look at some of them Taylor Gooch he spells Taylor wrong by the way um oh. 32 on the DMS ranking 187 on the official world rankings. Yeah. And I guess that is the big issue for the game of golf collectively is that Taylor Gooch is way better than 187 in the world in his ability as a golfer. I think we can all very confidently say that. Yet there is not the way for him to express his talent given the decision that he has taken. And so he's got 47 million reasons not to rue being 187 in the world. But it goes back to what Eddie was saying and said so brilliantly, actually. You know, where is your place in the history of this sport? Well, yeah, and I I agree with David Matrick Stanley, David Junior Stanley, um, his, his criteria there. Taylor Gooch is better than 187 in the world. There's no doubt about it. These guys are still brilliant golfers, apart from maybe Keimer and, and Westwood at the moment. They've been brilliant golfers, but at the end of the day, as as the OWGR state, and for technical reasons, they're just they're not playing a game, if you like, that is equivocal, that is exactly measurable in the same way. And and that's I think I on balance would agree with that. And um I understand the other side of the argument and I agree with it, really, what you just said about Taylor Gooch, but it kind of is what it is, and you have to take a stance at one point at some point, and then they've done that. So um I just think access into majors is gonna have to come about a different way moving forward. You know what we should do? David and I should get together, have a nice pub lunch, and he can talk about his world ranking algorithm, and I can talk about the history of golf ball manufacturing, and oh my goodness, what a what a time we'll have together. Um, but actually, we, we, we welcome that. It's, it's, it is a very, very interesting debate, and obviously a very lively debate. And like most debates at the moment, it's playing out on social media, and there's a lot of anger, and it's just one thing or the other. So um, let's talk Lexi Thompson instead, because uh, she played in the Shriners Children's Hospital Open over in Las Vegas. And Ian, we were talking about it. It's almost like, not that there's a no-win situation, because... She missed the cut by three. She bogeyed two of her last three holes, I think. So she was close to making the cut. I think she beat 33 players. She played well. She played really well. Um, you know, and, and, and there was talk before it's about, you know, not, not being a gimmick, but it was there to attract. I watched it. I wouldn't have watched. So I watched a lot of her playing, which I wouldn't have done otherwise. So I suppose that for that reason, it worked. And I was impressed with the way she played. Yeah, it, it won me over actually. As uh, actually, it turned into a, a brilliant use of a sponsor's invitation, didn't it? Because it did get us watching the first two rounds, seventy three, sixty nine. She did. She played really, really well. I still stand by what I said last week. In that, I can't understand why Lexi 
uh, was the one that was chosen given the season that she's had. Um, and I do, you know, I do still, I, I, I just, using the women's game as a gimmick just doesn't sit easily um, to me. And by by dint of a a, a sponsor's invitation, it, it is in an, in essence a, a gimmick. But having said that, it it worked. It paid off. So so fair play, and you know a, a fantastic performance, really. And the, the overriding thing for for me is you know that 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 moron that was was uh, tweeting um, that you know he could beat uh, Charlie Hull oh. as a three handicapper. You know there there is there's Lexi Thompson who was frankly struggling to keep her card on the LPGA tour, given her performances this year. And she's gone out there and she's beaten Jimmy Walker and Russell Knox. And, you know, that moron wouldn't be tweeting them and saying I could beat, beat you guys. Mm. So I, you know, I think fair play to her. Wouldn't put it past him. Ian. <laughs> Shirley Spork. I didn't know of Shirley Spork. It also, this got me on to, because uh, I think she was the eighth woman to play on a, in a PGA Tour event. Mm-hmm. And the seven, uh, no, she was the seventh. She was the seventh, but the six uh, previous. There was one which I I couldn't name at all. 1952, Shirley Spork. Now, Spork, to me, I, I thought they were... I was going to say, did she create yeah. the, uh, you know, she the invented thing that you now the, see in Itsu or something? She invented the spoon-fork combination. Yeah. No, she didn't, uh, but it would be nice if she had. But no, Shirley Spork was one of the sort of founders members of the LPGA yeah. Tour, so there we are. I think she died quite recently. She died last actually. year, I think she was in 1992, yeah. yeah. so there we are, Shirley Spork. Shirley Spork leads us into, what does it lead us into? Ben Ann! We've got a, a positive yeah. drugs test. I mean, he's going to come back in December. He doesn't really miss much. It's backdated. But it, it was one of those ones that is genuinely looks, you know, people say, oh, yes, looks innocent. But, it, it, you know, he bought a, a, a cold remedy in Korea, I think, Ben Ann, and it contained a contained a product that you're not uh, not supposed to be taking. So I just wondered drug testing in golf, because, you know, if you work in sports like athletics, like I do, rugby, I mean, athletics has very, very stringent drug testing. Cycling would as well. How many times in your career have you been drug tested, Eddie? Probably close to 10. Okay. I would say I get tested once a year on average, yeah. Okay, so that's not... Once a year? Yeah. And do you ever have you ever had a drug test to come and knock knock on the door? No, it's never like that. It's always at a golf tournament after a round. Yeah, um, yeah, which is you know. In fact, when I found out, I mean, I'm not that I've ever been close to getting in the Olympics, but when I discovered the, the protocol that required for playing the Olympics, uh, uh, that is the the reason why I wouldn't play in the Olympics. Not because I take drugs, but because I I would not, I could not be bothered to have to go through that protocol and um, put myself through that stress of ever being just part of an Olympics. So I. I kind of admire the, the athletes, what they have to go to just to adhere to the rules. But I mean, Mike, I don't want to sound like I'm coming no, across that's just there. tremendous. But the Olympic dream, I just could not be bothered. <laughs> <laughs> Someone might knock on my door. I just could not be bothered. Um, Eddie, well, we want you to light the Olympic flame. I just can't be bothered. A couple of things here. I mean, one, do, the, do they have drug testing on live events? I don't think so. I don't. I asked that question. I I asked that question and never got an answer, um, and that's more down to me not following up than you know. I'm not casting aspersions there, but I'd love. I I think they might have some. I mean, that's that to me is a a crucial aspect of whether you're fit for official world golf rankings, especially if you're turning around and one of your reasons is that you're claiming you've got some of the very best golfers in the world. But Eddie, you can if you know that the only place you're going to get tested is uh, is at a golf tournament 
you could you could abuse the performance enhancing route. You could turn around and say, right, I'm not going to play for four months. The scientists, the doctors would be able to know that you could take and train and build muscle mass or do whatever it is that you need to do to in your in a player's opinion will make them better and more uh, uh, physically equipped to play the game and then you can come back and know that you've gone through the period that it's going to be picked up and know that that's the only place that you're going to get tested so it's a pretty ineffective system isn't it yeah i would say it is and it's also just urine testing now i don't know you know what substances cause what and where it can be found um you know but my understanding is there are some things that wouldn't be shown up in urine testing anyway. So um, I'm sure I'm sure there have been players in the past, maybe some very very good ones who have abused the system. I know I don't, and uh, although cough medicine is a is certainly a strange one, I think over the counter and career though, Andrew, you can also get drugs to extend your arms. Oh, can so you? It oh, might tremendous. be worth a little business class trip over there. And I think Andrew's on Andrew, mute. Andrew, you're on mute. Because his arms can't reach the His arms can't even reach the So keep this in. Keep this in. Oh, I was on mute. I I was on mute, and I I had an amazingly witty comeback, which no one will ever hear now. So there's no point in me saying it. But oh my god, it was Just, devastating. What so. was it? What did you say? No, I didn't. I didn't do anything. I had nothing at all. Eddie had me banged to rights. Yes, I'm going to Korea to get. Uh, um, well, well, yeah, they do. It, well, interestingly, in rugby, a couple of players have tested positive for HGH. So maybe that is the human growth mm. hormone is what I... It's probably too late to extend my arms at this point, though. I don't think it's really going to... Going to no, serious question to Eddie, though. One, one further one. Do, I mean, we can hear now. You've, you've, you've got a bit of a cold right now. So you're in Spain. You, you, you go to a pharmacy. How, how much of an issue is it for you when you go in there to say, you know, when they say, here's, here's some cowpole for you. Um, what do you, do you worry about it? I literally just only take paracetamol or ibuprofen and, and then, you know, I've, I'm not, I'm so blase as you can probably tell about this all that I would deal with it in the future. But, you know, I mean, uh, I, I, I don't really take any kind of substances or anything, not substances, supplements. I mean, you can tell where my mind's at. I'm using, I'm very tired. I've had a six hour drive and I've had COVID mm. for the week. Mm. So actually, Oh, coming 20th with COVID. I mean, what a performance, you know. Well, I, hang I on a minute. That, yeah. Hang on. Oh, why, no. why, why is this coming out at, at, I don't know, 58 minutes into the pod? So you, you had, you've had COVID. Well, I think I've had COVID. I mean, everyone's had COVID these last couple of weeks. It was, it was everywhere up in Scotland. And then uh, I've got it. Jen's now got it. Are you man fluing here? Are you saying that you've no. basically had a cold and, or, or has it been worse than a cold? Oh, no, no. It's been, it's just been, you know, just like COVID. Right. Okay. We're going to stop you there, Joe Rogan. Um, <laughs> this is, that reminds me, I've, I've got to book my flu jab. Yes, I'm you do. You, well, you, your age, you get three a winter, I think. So um, yeah, I think I should get a free one, shouldn't yeah, I? No, um, goodness me. Well, again, uh, they tried to give me the injection, but they go, we've got no space to find to inject <laughs> you. You've got tiny little shoulders. Um, anyway, so, right, we're going to, we're going to end it. Let's just look ahead to this weekend then. So you're, you're this week you're you're playing fine eddie you're not feeling great but uh sota grande looking forward to it i am i've heard the course is right up my alley according to my caddy and um considering the way he saw me hit it yesterday i'm pleased with optimism he's hopefully sending me videos he's saying this is what you need to do for next week and he's he's dead on so i know what i need to do i putted very well last weekend which is nice so if i can put it all together then uh yeah 
I can have a good week, hopefully. Good. I think we've we've covered just about everything and some things that really didn't need to be covered at all. If you want to email in, please do so. The chipping forecast at foldingpocket.co.uk. Or you can leave some reviews. Actually, some people have left some reviews. And again, we're we're we don't take these for granted. Very, very nice reviews, and um we're getting a good listenership going on. Someone um Someone left number a review. One. Hang number on a second. One. You're number one. Stop shouting number one, Ian. That'll get us to number seven with that kind of braggadocio. Nutkin. Someone said, a cracking listen. Martin. Martin said, a cracking listen, but I remain aghast at the failure by Andrew, a stickler on all things grammar and pronunciation, see Obrick case, Carter versus Cotter, to pluralise Nutkin when referring to the TV celebrity Colossus, Terry Nutkin. I can't. I, I do remember mentioning at one point, but were, were we mentioning him in the plural? I mean, it would be it would be Nutkai, probably something like that, or like Courts Marshal. It would be Terry's Nutkin. So uh, Terry's chocolate orange. Um, so yes, well, um, didn't, oh, at mention of Ludwig as well, we should say as well that he played very well. Sixty-two was it in the final round over in the states? Yes, oh, sixty-two. Yeah. Uh, he's now up to what ninety-fifth on the FedEx Cup, and he's looking at. You know, he's going to be in the Players' Championship. He's, what, 58 in the world? He's he's going to be in all the majors next year. Yeah, world rankings, though, are they? Stunning. Yeah, little yeah. nonsense, the world rankings. True. So there we go. Well, I think we have covered just about everything and some things that probably didn't need to be covered, but uh, we will head off and wish Eddie all the best at Soto Grande. Gracias, I will head amigos. off with my very short hours to try and have my dinner. Um, and with a very long spork, maybe. <laughs> Well, that's what I'll use. Uh, and I'll leave you with some uh, final equipment chat, actually. Do you know the name Akushnet, which is the sort of parent company of um, Titleist and Fruitjoy? It comes from, because the guy who I, I mentioned, Philippi Young. And that completes this edition of The Chipping Forecast. Wishing you a safe and pleasant night. If you or anybody you know has been affected by the poor conversational timing within this pod, then there is a helpline you can call or email that was painful at andrewsterribleWiFi.co.uk.